All right, my friends, welcome back to another episode of the Build Show podcast. That's right, my weekly time to get together with you guys and go deep. I got my buddy Jake Bruton in uh, the set today or at, at the studio. We got a really critical topic today, a topic that I would tell you uh, has probably made more of a difference in my business than really kind of any other uh, kind of change that I've made over the years. We're talking about pre-cons, pre-construction service agreements. Uh, I actually shortened them at my office to PSAs. I had to look up what it stands for again because I'm so used to saying we have a client under PSA. Uh, so this is a big topic. Jake and I both do these in our business, and we're going to tell you about the inflection point when we changed uh, from kind of before and after, what that's meant to our businesses, uh, and give you some really good tips on how you might make that change and whether this might be the right move for your business as well. With that being said, from the Rockwell Studios in Austin, Texas, let's get going. All right, y'all, before we jump into today's podcast, big thanks to our podcast sponsor, Huber Engineered Woods. Uh, Jake, how many years have you been using uh, Huber products? We've been with Huber for nearly 20 years on the Avantech side, and we've been using uh, Zip and Zip R since like 2013, so 10 years. Yeah, you were OG on that. Holy cow. I moved to Advantech uh, on the second house I built. The first house I had a plywood issue. We actually talked about it in a previous podcast. Uh, moved to Advantech, never moved out, stayed in that camp the entire time. I got to be honest, though, I was a little bit of a zip detractor when it came out. I thought, you know, how could this tape that's reverse flashed work correctly? Yep. And I don't know if you've heard me talk about this or seen my videos, but I went out and saw, which is actually within walking distance of our studio, the uh, University of Texas J.J. Pickle Research Facility, which has a study uh, going on with the guy who started building diagnostics, uh, really famous and excellent building scientist, David Nicastro. David has like all these different house wraps, fluid applied and peeling sticks facing the west sun in Texas, which is really harsh. And he's got them weathering over time. And uh, almost all the products minus two are looking terrible after six or seven years in the sun. One of them that looks pretty dang good is Huber Zip System, which you're not supposed to leave it uncovered for six years, mm -hmm. but it still is, and it still looks pretty good. The other one is Alumaflash, um, <clears throat> which is a whole separate uh, product. But I think it's really interesting that that study, uh, all the nail sealability they did, a bunch of different uh, kind of tests they ran on it, made me go, you know what? This is actually a pretty interesting product. I should look into it. And uh, since then, I don't use it on every single project, um, but I made the decision to use it on my personal build. And it wasn't that they were a show sponsor. It was that that made the most sense for my house. Uh, and so uh, I think you and I both agree this is a really good company with a lot of really good products. Yeah. If you're not using Huber, I'd highly recommend you look into them. That systems approach that they have where you know they make a subfloor and they make it adhesive and they give you a, this is how it's supposed to be fastened. They make a sheathing and they make a sealant and this is how it's supposed to work. Like that sort of, that level of attention to detail means they're trying really hard to cover their butts so that they don't ever have to cover a warranty. That's right. And if they're trying to not have to ever cover a warranty because they don't have You'll failures, have you won't either. That's exactly right. That's so. a great point. That being said, Jake, how about we jump into today's topic, pre-construction agreements. Um, what year did you make the move to PSAs? Um, let's see, probably 2016, the beginning of 2016. Okay. And I have a 
I know it was the beginning of 2016. <laughs> you have a story behind I had that, a, I had a project that I lost nearly $200,000 on. Oh. Uh, the project was not slated for success from the beginning. Too tight a budget, too tight a timeline, not enough details in the plans. And I, as what I consider still a young builder, looked at it and went, boy, I want to do this job. And I took the project, and there wasn't enough figured out beforehand. So mm. the budget immediately grew and grew and grew. And <clears throat> in the end, things didn't shake out in my favor. Mm. Uh, and looking back on it almost immediately, I went, okay, here are the three things that I did wrong. There were other things that happened that people yeah. did wrong in the project. Yeah. Uh, but here are the three things that I did wrong. And the biggest of those things was taken on something that we didn't understand. Interesting. So two things to break down there. I think it's interesting you did kind of a post-mortem on your job. I actually want to hear more about that. But for me, define, or for the audience, define what uh, a pre-construction or a pre-con agreement is in your mind. And what does that look like? So with, with at least our company, it's everything that should happen and take place before the job starts. Mm-hmm. It's uh, helping with the plans. The architect uh, needs builder insight. They need to know how it happens in your market if they're out of market. They need to know how your subcontractors might want to do it. They might not understand things like energy efficiency. Mm-hmm. That might not be something that their firm specializes in. Yeah. If the clients want that, we have to bring that to the table and we have to provide guidance. Uh, we have to have gut checks throughout the project. Mm. So in that pre-con project, we have to be able to go, hey, this is double what you're planning on, <laughs> what you were thinking you were going to spend. We always make the joke of, uh, I don't need the architect to tell the client that it's going to cost $200,000 to add a turret to the house, but I do need to tell the architect, the architect does do need to tell them, we need to check with the builder because adding a turret to the project is going to add to the cost of the budget. Right, right. And so being there and being hired on and having the ability to make that investment and and time to provide guidance on things like that, that's like the biggest opportunity for success. Uh, and then we create a schedule and a real proposal. Hmm. So in essence, we get paid to bid, yeah. which people yeah. have a hard time hearing from the get three estimates part of our industry in the in the past yeah uh is that does that align with what you guys do for psa yeah for sure uh i've been doing a little bit longer because i i have a similar painful story that uh actually ended in in uh well i shouldn't say that i have a happy ending story that that could have been a painful story uh the last time i actually did a free estimate a free quote-unquote bid was 2008 or nine or 10, somewhere in that time period. Uh, And I remember everything about it. It was during the recession when things were super lean, like we're fighting for every job. And uh, a client that I had spent a fair amount of time with and I thought was gonna be the only quote unquote bidder on their project, you know, cause I'd been to several meetings, I'd given several estimates uh, and they hired an architect here in Austin uh, I don't think there's any reason why I can't say it was Barley and Pfeiffer, Peter Pfeiffer. You've probably mm-hmm. seen speak very good architect. Some of the best plans I've ever seen. Uh, this is like 40 or 50 pages of architectural plans and their specs were like 75 pages, like very detailed. Every light fixture was specced out every, 
everything was spec out. More comprehensive than any set I've ever gotten. Extremely comprehensive and uh, among the best of the sets that I've ever gotten. So here we are, 2008 you know, or nine, height of the recession. I had given really good numbers because I had very specific bids from several things. And we get down to the final CD set and the client says, hey, Matt, you know, I just want you to, lo- to know that we're going to invite several other people to bid as well to, uh, you know, check your numbers. Right. And I was like, what? What do you mean? Like, I thought I was building this like I've been super open with the costs. I think my fees are very reasonable. And the client was like, yeah, you know, I just need to double check. So he invites uh, one builder that I know in town that I think of as like the best, most expensive builder. And they declined to bid it, which I was kind of thankful uh, in some respects because <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to go You want to compete them. against the good guys. Yeah, he right? was really good. <laughs> and then he invites my really good friend who's a, a builder in town. This is uh, Pilgrim Builders, Branson Fusas. I don't know if you know him, but just fabulous guy, fabulous builder. He doesn't go to a lot of builder conferences, but he's very, very dialed on the architects builders world. Uh, you know, does amazing work. He invites him to do it. And he's, of course, hurting like I am and totally does a free bid. And then another builder that I'd never heard of before, never met, was like, who is this guy? Like, I've never even seen him. And Austin is a small enough town that, you know, you kind of know the other builders. I'm, I'm taking this story too long. Let me shorten it. Long story short, very robust set of plans. And the numbers are all over the map. You know, like I'm at one three. Uh, my buddy who bids it is at one five and this other builder that I don't know is at one, one. And I didn't know this until the end, the client hires me and I'm like, Hey, you know, would you mind telling me like what happened or give me some insight? Well, he shares their bid packages, which I was, I didn't even ask for, but he did. I was so thankful. And my builder friend, we use a lot of the same subs. He's at one five because he picks a more expensive cabinet maker that builds like furniture grade. And I did more of a builder grade package. And then like one or two numbers are different. And that's it. And that's $200,000. And other than that, our fees were almost identical in terms of like our percentage. Uh, Several of our bids were down to the penny the same because we had the same AC guy. He already already bid it. Yeah, he already bid it. He's like, sure, here you go. And then the other guy gives a one-page spreadsheet with a bunch of numbers. And I was like, well, no wonder he didn't get hired. What a terrible bid package, but I'm kind of surprised in some respects he didn't get hired because his number was 200,000 less than mine. And normally people pick the low bidder. So the, the homeowner later tells me, yeah, I only picked you because you're the middle guy. I read on the internet, you should always pick the middle guy because they're probably the best. <laughs> and the funny part was the, the two or three subs that were more expensive. Uh, I knew those subs and said to the homeowner, Hey, you know, do you want to talk to a more expensive cabinet guy, blah, blah, blah. We had the same exact number at the end because he chose the more expensive package once he had the option. <clears throat> so it was one of those times where I was like, look, I need to stop bidding things. I need to go to this agreement. And for me, a pre-con agreement is a two-page agreement. It's very non-legalese. I actually kind of wrote it myself to not look like a lawyer document, although since I've had my lawyer review it, and he's probably tweaked something, but it feels non-legalese. And we say, look, we're going to do this, this, and this for you. Here's what you're going to do for us, and this is what we require. And it's usually a, a deposit of a certain number. That's varied for me over the years of uh, as little as maybe $5,000 to these days, maybe more like ten to twenty, depending on the size of the job. Mm-hmm. The other thing we've added on there is here's our hourly rate that we'll charge you for estimating services. Uh, and then we're going to work against that deposit 
and we'll give you a report, not monthly, but usually in progresses to say, hey, you've got still plenty of money left or gosh, you're almost ready for another re-up on our time. And what that does for us, I'm sure like for you, is they feel like because they gave you a check, you're their builder. And now they're not going out to talk to several other people. Yeah, and you have your foot in the door. I have my foot in the door. And I've also said to them, look, I'm gonna be super honest and super detailed with you so you really know what this is gonna cost. And what you're paying for is a professional builder giving you a professional estimate along the way. And so I'll say, look, this is my dating agreement. This is our handshake agreement uh, that I'm gonna give you really good numbers. This is also gonna allow you to really interview my team and make sure that we're as trustworthy as we say, that you like working with us, that uh, you know you like my project manager, my estimator, my business partner, Tim, all these people on the team. And then we're also, as a part of this PSA, gonna provide you um, three levels of budgeting. And, and the way that I usually couch it is, uh, first, we're gonna give you an airplane view. And usually I actually give that for free because I wanna know that they're gonna be a a reasonable client to begin with. So yeah, I'll it's say a million like, dollar house just from a two minute conversation. Exactly. You know, it's going to be at least a million. The client says I have 250 grand. You can go, yeah, you're probably not right for us. Exactly. And what we do actually is I do take about an hour to have one of my project managers or Daniel, let's say, or Emma on my team uh, do a uh, takeoff on whatever schematic we might have to say, this is tier one space. This is tier two space. Uh, this is maybe even tier three space. Here's the cost per square foot range of those spaces. Uh, and so it looks like we put a little thought into it rather than just, oh, it's $2 million. And then we'll give them like a, a little mini spreadsheet that says tier one space, this to that, this to that, plus landscape, plus pool. We think you're going to be between one five and one seven five. And of course that can vary. But, you know, if you're thinking this is an $800,000 house, then we need to uh, we need to have a very specific, another conversation <laughs> or we're not your builder. Uh, and, and then if they're ready to move on to a PSA, then we'll say, look, once we get further down the line, as you get a little closer on your plans, then we can actually give a line item takeoff and as much as things, as many things as possible. And then later we'll fill that in with bids, uh, from let's say a cabinet maker. Once we've got more, uh, elevations and, and specs or from a window and door company, uh, builder's first source to say, here's the Anderson package or whatever it is. But you're starting to fill that stuff out before the plans are complete, complete. Exactly. So that we can say, okay, we really are heading for a house that's on the upper end of this budget. So where, where do you want to go with this before someone completes the plans? Because if this is not where you want to be, we need to make some bigger changes. Like maybe you don't need a four car garage. Maybe you don't need uh, a basement under the whole house. Maybe we just do part partial, you know, all those kinds of things. So that you kind of started all that with like your sales pitch on why to hire you mm -hmm, for it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to give you what we say, because I think it is helpful. Love it. A couple of times that I've had this conversation with people that are like, why didn't I think to say it like that? It's everything that the house is going to need. We're just splitting it out of the construction contract. That's it. We have to have a budget. We have to have a timeline. We have to have the selections sorted out. We have to get all these bids from everybody. We have to sit in the, with the architect and make sure that it's buildable. Uh, and the scope of work that we generate, it's going to have to be generated for us to get you real numbers anyway. All we're doing is taking that part away from whoever's going to build the house, even if it's not us, mm -hmm. and doing it beforehand. And the three bid thing that you were talking about, one of my, one of my sales pitches is about 
maybe seven years ago, maybe six years ago, somewhere in there. I had some clients come to me with an architect. The plans were like half done. I talked them into pre-con and doing the scope of work. And we went all the way through the plans, all the way through the scope of work, budgeting everything. And they said, you know, how do we know that your $1.2 million price tag is accurate? Mm -hmm. And I said, we do not have a construction contract. You have our pre-con stuff is finished. If you want to take my scope of work that you paid for and the, the architect's plans and shop it, go have somebody else bid it. Yeah. And ask the architect for somebody that's comparable to us. And he and they asked the architect and they came back about a month later with two other numbers and there was thirty thousand dollars between the three of us. Oh my god. That's gosh. the same price. At one point wow. two million dollars, that's hundred totally percent the same, the same price. price. Now the the part I never fill clients in on is then the bank said cut 200 grand out of the budget we cut 200 grand out of the budget they said we're going to have somebody check your numbers they went to a, a lesser quality builder who oh. didn't follow the scope of work and he came in like three hundred thousand dollars less than me oh my god and they're like what should we do and i said if he's actually going to do everything on the scope of work you hire him three hundred thousand dollars is enough that you should hire him yep i will tell you that he's not following the scope of work even if he tells you that and they're mm -hmm. like well we believe him the house okay. ended up costing like 2.5 or something when it was done. <laughs> it was a nightmare from my understanding. But oh. for for $1.2 million and $30,000 between the three bids, that's proof that a, a really good scope of work and a good set of plans, yeah. the pricing is going to be the same. Yeah. Assuming the same level of subcontractor, yeah. right? and which so, is always a wild card. Well, and we're lucky in the small market of Columbia, Missouri. There's only a few supply houses. Sure. There's only so many plumbers. I right. mean, there's plenty of people. There's right. 100,000 people or whatever. Right. Uh, but it's proof that the system can work. Mm -hmm. And it's proof that, you know, I was not. Actually, I was the middle of the 30,000 30, spread. That's funny. Uh, and they were ready to work with us. They already had their foot in the door. We already mm -hmm. had a relationship. They already understood that we're professional and they could work with us. So that's like the easiest. I always tell people that story without the part where we didn't get the job. And then uh, the fact that it's all stuff that you're going to have to pay for. Mm -hmm. All we're doing is not including it in the bank loan or doing it up front the same way you do the architecture. Yep. So what what do you think is the biggest aspect of the pre-con services? Is it pricing? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, yes, pricing is important, but I think ultimately it's it's uh, being a little bit of a shepherd of the project and having someone who's engaged as a shepherd. Because if you just ask a builder to bid it, they know that you don't have any skin in the game and they don't necessarily know if they're going to get it. So there, there's always a little bit of this, you know, kind of shell game, like what do I do to make them like me or to get the job? Whereas how if, cheap can I make it? Exactly. Or, or how cheap do I need to make it? Or should I tell them that? Or, no, we'll get to that later. Whereas if you're hired under a professional services agreement, you've got a relationship with the client. You're really uh, hired in some respects as more of a shepherd of the project to say, okay, you've hired the architect. Uh, you know, I've, I've recommended an engineer. Uh, we may have to get a septic person in, whoever else. But I'm going to shepherd this project to make sure that if you're telling me this needs to be X price point or we need to do whatever, that I'm going to help shepherd all those people and, and almost act like an owner's rep to say, look, my client, Mr. Architect, Mrs. Septic Engineer, whatever, needs this. This is what we're looking for. Uh, so please 
get into this lane that they need to be at. And that's that's more valuable in some respects than just being a bidder and estimator. Because ultimately, our clients don't know if they need an Anderson 100 series window or an Anderson A series window or a Shuko window. Um, what they want and need is usually a comfortable house on a budget that they can afford and a timeline that makes sense for them. Everything else is under our purview as builders. And so we need to shepherd them into what a well-built, durable, comfortable, healthy house is going to be for their family that they can afford. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Do you return that fee? No. Do you credit it to the account? No. I Did you it. ever? Uh, that's a good question. Over the years, a few times I've been asked by clients to return the fee, usually because they, let's say, canceled the project mm -hmm. uh, or they were just a tightwad that we were like, oh, thank thank the Lord we didn't build with them, <laughs> right? Uh, and interestingly enough, we've changed a little bit about when we send contracts through to people um, because I've got, honestly, a pretty builder-oriented contract. Uh, I, I, this is a whole other episode probably, but we used to use the AIA contract, uh, and we've gone away from that. Yeah, barf. And, sorry. Yeah. It's totally, <laughs> sorry, our AIA. Totally. It's <laughs> Your contract It's a terrible contract. <laughs> Uh, and we have, thankfully, in Texas, the Texas Association of Builders promulgated contract, which is a fancy way of saying that the Builders Association, like 20 years ago, came up with it. In fact, Tim Hill, my partner, was on one of the first builder subcon or builder uh, committees to make this statewide contract, like in the late 90s. And now every builder in Texas that's an association member can buy the new contract after. Uh, you know, every year there's some changes that are made to the contract based on what legislature does. And it's like 250 bucks, so it's incredibly reasonable. Yeah. And what's cool about it is because it's a, a statewide contract, if you send it to someone in another, you know, city, let's say they're like, oh, it's a TAB contract, no problem. And most attorneys are like, I'm good with it, but I want you to change this one thing or that one thing or these two things. And then you can have a negotiation on that rather than having an attorney take uh, you know, 15 hours and read and bleed all over the contract. And so a lot of times these days we'll send over our contract along with our professional services agreement. And that's usually a pretty good litmus test. Like, do they themselves go, oh yeah, this is a state contract. Great. I could probably have my attorney, uh, review this, tweak it maybe. Or do they send it to their attorney before they sign anything? And then we get back 37 red lines. You're like, pass. And we're like, sorry, don't sign our PSA because we're not going to make 37 changes to our contract. Uh, so it's a really good litmus test. When when you're two-thirds of the way through pre-con, are you ready to send a construction contract and say, hey, I know we're not done with pre-con yet, but we want to work with you guys. We want to build your house. Now's the time to get a construction contract signed so that we can get you on our calendar? Well, we used to do that, but what we're doing now is actually giving it to him at the PSA. Oh, fully from the beginning. From the beginning. And we'll say, hey, here's our contract documents and here's our PSA. The only thing you need to sign today is our PSA, which is a page and a half. And 99% of the time, they're not sending any of that to a lawyer. No, I shouldn't say that. 90% of the time, they just sign the PSA and give us a check. Sometimes they'll read the contract themselves 10% of the time they'll send it to a lawyer and that's usually the people that like don't sign our PSA because their lawyer bleeds all over it and we say, look, we're not going to make all these changes. But it's a really good way for us to go, all right, before I've even gotten to know them more than a meeting or two, are they going to 
be really difficult people to work with that are going to take their lawyer and and sick us from the start. We so don't want that. at what point are you going to ask for an executed construction contract? Do you wait until precon's completely over? Pretty much, yeah. We wait until we have. Mo it depends. There are two types of clients with us. There are some clients that we build the house by ear. Uh, and, uh, and what does that mean? <laughs> that's probably an internal <laughs> saying, but there's clients of ours that uh, some of them are multiple repeat clients. I have like one sure. client now we're on house five for them. Okay. Uh, and oftentimes we'll get started while the plans are in DD. Uh, and we're not even, we don't even have a construction drawing yet. All we have is an outline budget, frankly, and we're cost plus. They know our fee. They know what we're like to work with. They even know the project manager cause they did the last house with that same project manager. Uh, and so we'll get started on a, you know, a napkin set, just about a drawings. Uh, and there's a lot of tweaking as we go. Other clients want a very specified budget. Uh, I really want to know what the numbers are. And that's probably most of our clients. I would say 80% of our clients. I will be honest, though, we haven't been great at. And one of the things that I, I need to improve or I think our team needs to improve on is probably what you're doing and i know for instance luke mesger is doing which is we really don't want to start this until i know everything about the house till we have a full set of specs till i know what all the appliances are till you've selected all your tile till you've selected all your plumbing fixtures because that way i really can run with the project when you get started and we're not going to run into hang-ups and hiccups because you know i already started the foundation before i knew what your plumbing choices are and then i realized oh you've got a recessed into the slab, uh, you know, filler for your tub that I didn't yep. account for, and now I'm bringing a saw out to the job. Uh, so and always, you're paying for it. I always tell people the more that we can figure out from the beginning, the more I will stand behind the number I give you. That's a great way to say it. Like if we can start, like you're talking about by year, we can start. All you have to do is tell me the size of the house, and we'll start. Mm -hmm. But the number that I quote you means nothing. Yeah. It, yeah. You know. I might be off by 100% if I don't know. Yeah. I actually started a couple of weeks ago and I haven't put much effort into it. I um, I took um, a section out of one of our scopes of work that's just plumbing fixtures and I bid it all with Delta. Mm -hmm. I'm waiting on Brizo numbers, which is Delta's like fancy oh, line. End. Yeah. The and Lexus then, of them. And then all with Waterworks, which oh is gosh. like the super high end, yep. just so that I can be like, because I have a feeling the numbers are going to be like, well, here's the here's why we have to figure this out. Because if you want Delta, the plumbing fixtures for your house are $6,000. If you want Waterworks, the kitchen faucet is $6,000. And, and the other I thing can't you tell you for is if you do that top of the line one, you also have additional plumber time and the plumber will charge you more. Yeah. Because they're missing a screw or a washer and there's a return trip involved. <laughs> That's yeah. happened to us so many times is plumbing labor goes up by a ridiculous amount because they've chosen some super high-end fixture that's, that's yeah. very difficult to work with. So I, I asked you a minute ago about, do you credit the pre-con back? I, I'm gonna tell you how we started. Mm -hmm. And it was, I didn't know whether or not the pre-con thing was gonna work or if anybody in our market was gonna be okay with it because mm -hmm. it's not something that people in- It's unusual. In, in both the Kansas City market where we compete and the Columbia market where we compete, it's not something that most people do. Uh, in fact, every architect that I've talked to about it has been like, it's what? Oh, they're paying you for design. I'm like, no, they're not paying me for design. I'm hired on as the builder. <laughs> I'm just here to help make sure that we don't get a monster that can't be built. Yeah. So when I first did it, the first maybe year, year and a half, uh, I told people like, if you 
hire us for this, it's going to cost eight to $12,000. And uh, if we build the house, I'll credit that back to you. Especially because for me, we're a small company. It's just my time. Mm-hmm. And my wage, my living is built into the profit model of the rest of the company right. before we were doing this. Right. So it's like this is extra money that now the company makes that really the only cost is my time. Sure. Um, so I was like perfectly fine with I'm going to give this back. That way you'll have a eight to ten to twelve thousand dollar incentive for hiring us. Right. right. You know? Yeah. Uh, and after we realized that people were okay with doing it, <clears throat> we realized that or I realized the the royal we <laughs> I realized uh, they're paying me for something that they were gonna pay any other builder to do. Mm-hmm. That's the way I sell it to people. Yep. So why am I giving them a ten thousand dollar break on their house? At the beginning of construction, when they haven't earned it, that's one of our rules. That's nobody really gets bad. a nobody gets a discount until they've earned it. Yeah. Uh, so I immediately was like, "Okay, we're going to do this different. We're not going to give this back. I'm not going to talk about crediting it back. I know there are quite a few people because this is one that comes up when we talk to people in public. Uh, like builders at JLC last week, there was a guy that came to us that was like, "Hey, man, I'm making a lot more money now because." of the pre-construction services video you made. And I was like, that's awesome. That's awesome. And he was like, I credit it back. And I was like, don't do that. Mm-hmm. Stop doing that. There's no. money that you, we'll see if he does. Hopefully he'll send me a message. Uh, so we stopped crediting it back. Well, now my company just has this chunk of money that didn't exist before this profit stream. Yeah. So what we've done is that just feeds safety net. That's awesome. It's separate money. It doesn't have to go to pay any bills. So why don't we just sock it away and pretend like it doesn't exist and so it's good. safety net. So anytime that you can start to build a safety net and make a better product for the client, that's and, my current like, yeah, why didn't I think of that before? And that's probably a whole other podcast that we should maybe add to our list, which is safety net, contingencies, warranty costs, and even, frankly, legal bills uh, and just kind of general keep me out of hot water bills. Right, because my company, I have an attorney that I absolutely love, a guy named Travis, who's been on the podcast before, uh, and we pay him several thousand dollars a month, uh, not necessarily because I'm being sued, but because I want him to review contracts, uh, because we're sending him documents to review, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff. He's kind of, I think of him as a board member of my company and, and an executive team member mm-hmm. that's two thousand or twenty five hundred dollars a month is average what we probably send him. And that's money super well spent. Because uh, now when I've got, let's say, uh, we send a pre-construction services agreement out, plus we send our contract, if that homeowner and or the homeowner's attorney wants to talk to my attorney about the contract, Travis is a member of my team and will get on the phone with that attorney. And more than once he's called us and said, hey, you should run from these people. <laughs> this attorney, I know him. You know, He's out of Houston and he does X, Y, and Z. And he's used to suing builders. And I looked him up. This is what the guy does. And and I found this, this, and this uh, on this guy. And I called my buddy that went to law school with him. And he's a jerk. And I would I would frankly not sign this PSA with them. And so now here I've got a whole other yeah, insight that's awesome. on a client. And more than once have we not moved forward because my attorney said these people are going to be problem. Uh, I uh, a few years ago when we we moved to a different contract attorney and we went for a new contract. I said, here's the deal. Here's the contract we're working with now. It feels slightly in my favor, and it makes me slightly uncomfortable. And it was a good contract. Uh, And I said, I want something that is very reasonable and very fair. 
very Midwestern, mm-hmm. if you will. For sure. Uh, it's one of the things I love for about bo- For both parties. Yeah. I don't want anybody to feel like they're giving up their rights here or anything like that. And my attorney was like, good, that's what, like, what, that's what a good yeah. contract should be, is everybody should just be comfortable with it. And I was like, that's great. And we got a contract, and we've been working with it for a few years, both our, our pre-con and our construction contract. We are renovating our attorney's house right now and he signed both the contracts without any amendments and i was like okay he was being honest with me (laughs) like he was he was a team player on this one so that's awesome i love to hear that that was a that was a high point this is also probably another podcast but you can look back in in the previous podcast we've talked about uh our addendums to our contract because we have this promulgated contract but we also have the reisinger addendums uh, which now is probably 14 15 pages uh, one of those is that I've, I've got a relationship with another company, which is my company. It's my labor arm. And the five or six guys that actually do work on our jobs uh, aren't billed through my home building company. They're billed through a labor company called BuildRH, which allows me to have some separation. Uh, so, for instance, one huge mistake I made at the very beginning of my career, I had a client that um, I did a cost plus remodel on that, that kind of snowballed in a we're just doing the kitchen and then, oh, by the way, let's do the master bath. And oh, by the way, let's do this. And then we ended up doing the whole house. It started as a 500K deal during the recession and ended at 2 million. Uh, and it's just during, a reasonable change order. Yeah, like not reasonable at all. Plus I'm like a two man show at the time and was like, they're like, well, how much is this gonna cost? I was like, oh, um, let me do some estimates. Like, how do you figure that out when you're halfway? Long story short, at the end of the job, I'd made a critical error on their billing. I double billed them on a $16,000 invoice. And they caught it and all of a sudden didn't trust me anymore. And so then they had their- $16,000 is a big chunk of money. It's a lot of money. It was a big mistake on my part. This is like 2008 or nine, you know, middle of the recession. And so then they had their accountant come in and do a forensic analysis of the cost plus books. And here I am like, you know, two years in business and uh, working out of your pickup oh yeah totally. sorry working out of your red chrysler lebaron but yeah i did have a pickup at the time but i did not have an office uh and long story short the accountant said uh hey these these workmen that were subcontractors and then were empl- in-house employees and and then during the process of this remodel then we're, i started this third company i build them three different ways even though it was still the same three carpenters and the guy was like, this difference in price and then what I charged later on overtime for them, they wanted every penny back of the difference between what I paid them, you know, their, let's say $25 an hour uh, hourly cost and what I marked them up at. And I think at the time I was marking them up at 40 or something that was t- way too light, right? But I was like, oh, there's $15 between their pay and this. That's certainly enough to pay for uh, you know, insurance and health insurance and all the other things. And then when they got time and a half, I had this even higher rate for them. Mm-hmm. And this accountant came in and was like, no, you're ripping my clients off. You know, you need to charge these guys at their exact 22, 25 and $26 an hour. And I need all their time cards. And they basically said, look, you owe us $40,000 back. Uh, at the end of this job, which at the time I had two nickels to rub together. I didn't have $40,000. Uh, so I ended up doing a payment plan with the owner and saying, all right, you know, I don't want you to sue me. I'll pay you back. I don't agree with this, but I see why you think that. And, um, and so I did like a nine month payment plan. <laughs> and 
that was when I didn't, I yeah. really didn't have the money during that time. So it was super painful. So I started a whole separate company and now I also uh, have published rates for the year for my carpenters, for my labor, uh, even for equipment that I rent to my jobs. Here's how much a dehumidifier costs on a monthly basis. And we go out and figure out what the rental yard companies charge and we charge about 20% less. So that if they yeah. were to check our numbers, they would see that it's at a lower price. Yes, yeah, so you're giving the client a discount is. yet still making money off exactly. of something. But that's, that's very smart. But I consider that in some respects part of my PSA because I'm giving that kind of full contract in at this kind of early stage in the process where usually I've only had, you know, maybe two meetings in with the client. Um, last question for you, Jake. Um, how are you billing against your hourly time to your clients on their PSA deposit? Yeah, so we actually uh, have a very detailed pre-construction services agreement. This is the deliverables. These are the timelines. Mm. Here are the engineers that we're going to contract to work with if we need them. All these sorts of things, uh, payment terms. Like it is a 15-page contract oh, wow. you have a to try one. to make sure that everything is spelled out very mm -hmm. clearly in that we kind of just lump sum everything and just say this is what it's going to cost and uh there have been multiple times where it's like well we're three quarters of the way through the first design and the clients decide to buy a different lot mm. well my contract is written for the lot that we we're on and we did everything for the lot that we we're on so we have published rates in there for this is, you know, it's $150 an hour for me, or it's $80 for a project manager to be involved. Because yep. sometimes it's like, well, there, we once built scaffolding so that the clients could see what the sunset was going to look like to the west <laughs> and whether or not they were going to be able to see the lake if we built a two-story house. Yep. So, like, that's there are awesome. things like that that that's not in the scope of work, but we can do it. We'll do whatever it takes. Mm -hmm. um, there have been a few times where, design went really well design went really quick where i was just like look we didn't have as much time in this as we uh as we needed i'm going to credit you guys back a little bit uh and the clients that like moved lots it kind of it's written in a way that it's kind of at our discretion mm -hmm. uh so we're going through one right now in the kansas city market the clients bought a different piece of property uh it was the right choice to move properties and they are uh ideal clients they're not getting charged for a second set of all that. That's awesome. We're going through it again. We want to we want to build the house for them. It's going to be a great they've one. They've earned it. Yeah, they've earned it. Uh, had they been incredibly difficult clients or even just rude or non-appreciative at mm -hmm. some point, the, the contract would have kicked in and I would have said, hey, we're going to – I have to bill you again for this. all this. We're yeah. digging a second set of septic holes. We're, you know, we're going through stuff with the municipality again. Uh, so there is a, a tiny bit of flexibility there that's like kind of our discretion. That's huge. Uh, otherwise, it's flat rated based on who's the architect, where's the property, what's it going to... I can tell pretty quick what it's going to be like. Yeah. You know, we work with a variety of architects, almost every single one we love. They're all great. Unfortunately for them, Steve is one of my closest friends. Yeah. And when Steve and I work together... It goes real smooth. It goes very easy. We have... You're aligning talking about, ideals. Talking about Steve Basic. Yes, yeah, sorry. You're listening and don't know who uh, you're talking about. We have we have three houses in construction with him right now. Wow. And we have three more in design. That's like huge. if we have a 15 minute phone call in the morning while one of us is driving from a office to a job, we can cover all six jobs that we have open in 15 minutes because we speak the same language. 
it's going to be less money if we work with him. Yeah. That doesn't mean that the house is necessarily going to be better or or worse than mm-hmm. if we worked with somebody else. It just I know that precon is going to be easier. Yeah. We had an architect that was from Chicago that I'd never met before that would not turn his screen on Zoom calls. It's really hard to understand what you're talking about just <laughs> over the phone. The Zoom is there. Like I knew immediately that our pre-con was going to be substantially more expensive. That's so funny you say that. I had a meeting last week where it was like six or seven people. And the people that on the other on the other party would only turn their screen on when they were talking. Uh, and then they would go on mute and screen off. And it was so odd. Like everybody on my team had their screens on, like we were bantering and they would only like for a second, you know, okay, here we are with blah, 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 blah. And then they'd go back to screen off mute. You're like, wow, so weird. What are you hiding? Yeah. What are you doing back there (laughs) on the other side of that screen? Are you that itchy that you can't keep your, (laughs) Yeah. are you picking your nose? What is happening on the other end of the line? But it, it did make me... Uh, is that the takeaway from this episode? Turn your darn monitor on and quit muting yourself. <laughs> it is. Quit doing whatever you're trying to hide. It is. And just pay attention to the meeting. Well, I mean, it goes back to what we were talking about on the last podcast, which is video is incredibly um, connective. And yeah. whether it's a, a face-to-face meeting or a Zoom call... You can decide if you like someone pretty darn quickly. I bet there's yeah. some scientific study we could find out there that says yeah. you uh, recognize 30, what's happening. 30 seconds of FaceTime makes you decide if you like this person or not. Uh, and, you know, there's probably some bias and prejudice in there somewhere. But, you know, a good face-to-face meeting with someone or a good Zoom meeting uh, brings that trust. And ultimately, that's what, back to the PSAs, that's what this is all about, right, is, is saying, look, you're hiring me as a trusted advisor so I can give you really good advice. And we're gonna, what I tell people often is we're gonna sit on the same side of the table. Uh, there's no like, well, what, what could I show you that would allow you to get, you know, me to get this job? Like, I'm not gonna show you my profit margin. I'm not gonna show you what I make. Uh, I'm gonna hedge my bets on X, Y, and Z. No, this is, here's great information for you, Mr. and Mrs. Client. Uh, why don't you make a good decision together with me on whether this project makes sense and how we're gonna get there. It's about building relationships. Yeah. It's our entire industry. That's right. So be honest with them up front. Mm -hmm. Share the value of what you bring to the table with the pre-con process. Charge for it. Don't Don't, be afraid. Don't give it back. (laughs) You're doing work. Get paid for doing work. And use that pre-con process to sell them on working with you or to disqualify them. That's right. And we're professionals and we should be paid for our time. And, uh, you know, all the... Uh, years of uh, get three bids, get a free bid. You need to wash that down the drain uh, because they're not dealing with, uh, you know, a gutter guy with a pickup truck who's coming to sell you the job today. They're dealing with a professional builder uh, who dresses professionally, that has professionals that work for them. You need to be paid for your time. It's incredibly important for us to act professional. And, you know, you just mentioned your hourly rate. That's not the hourly rate of uh, a low-level uh, starter employee. That's not the Chick-fil-A sandwich uh, slinger hourly rate. That's a professional, uh, and we need to be paid for our time uh, at the beginning. And there are some PSAs that uh, take three to six months. There are some of my PSAs that take over a year yep. and, and sometimes even two years before yeah. we're ready to get started because of changes, because of uh, economy, because of you know, whatever's happening in their life. Uh, and so for you asking for a check, 
uh, at the start, there is no reason why you should be shy about that. Your client doesn't go to work for free. That's exactly right. Exactly. That's a great way to end it. Jake, thanks for coming in today, brother. Thanks we got like me. three or four other topics, but I think what we need to do next, Jake, is jump into a topic that's near and dear to our heart, performance on a budget. Um, let's do that next time, shall we? Okay. Deal. All right. Good deal. Guys, if you're not currently following Jake Bruton, uh, he's building houses in Columbia, Missouri and Kansas City, Kansas. Am I saying that right? Kansas City, Kansas is uh, on the border of Kansas City, Missouri and Kansas City, Kansas. So both. Okay. Gotcha. Kansas City Metro. Uh, his company is Aero Builders, A-A-R-O-W Builders. But you can follow him on Instagram, Jake.Bruton, B-R-U-T-O-N. Uh, you can also check out his podcast. It's the Unbuild It podcast with our buddies Jake and Peter. Uh, and, of course, he's shooting videos every single week sharing his 40 years of a uh, kind of embedded knowledge because uh, his dad actually started the company. He's a second-generation owner of Aero Builders. Uh, building. Building, Aero Building, sorry. <laughs> he does it every time. I, I do it every it time. So you can go check out Jake's <laughs> profile on buildshownetwork.com. When you go to buildshownetwork.com, there's a hamburger menu on the left. Uh, you hit that and it says uh, contributors, and then you'll see a list of all our shiny faces and names. Go check that out. And, in fact, Jake has... Uh, two videos, a short and a long version, which are basically his bio. That'd be a great way to get to know Jake if you're just hearing him for the first time on the podcast. Uh, and lastly, he's the uh, first person in our team to ever chronicle a build start to finish, uh, which is available for you to watch all 12 episodes or 10. I think it's 12. 12 episodes of, we call it the Build Show Build. Uh, we've kind of piggybacked that now with Build Show Build Boston, which uh, Steve is hosting currently. Uh, but Jake's the original Build Show Build host on a really cool house that he built in uh, Columbia. So go check that out. I'm in a couple of those episodes. Really, really well-built house, um, which works well with our performance on a budget theme of next podcast. So stay tuned for that. We're publishing here every Friday on BuildShowNetwork.com and iTunes and all the kind of uh, podcasting places. So if you want to watch the visual version of this, head over to Build Show Network. Jake, thanks for coming. Thanks, buddy. You ready for the signature outro? I'm even uh, going to get my hand involved. For you the, go uh, right ahead. I'll if watch. If you're only listening, you know my finger is going to be involved here. <laughs> it's involuntary. Last time point. Jake called me out that I invol- involuntarily <laughs> pointed like my my brain wasn't even being used. Follow us on TikTok or Instagram. Otherwise, we'll see you next time on the Build Show podcast. Podcast.